Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I am uh, in. I am joined this morning by my husband and frequent guest these days and business partner, uh, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? I can. Yes, absolutely. Um, I feel like we, we've hosted so many shows recently just because like when this whole COVID thing started, we it was just hard to get you know, guests to um, well come into the studio. That was our norm to come into the studio. But now that we've uh, embraced Zoom and are Zooming every time we record a show, we should... Um, we should we should be able to get more uh, a wider variety of guests on the show, but it's me and Kirk this morning. So, but we've got a lot of uh, great stuff to talk about. So, um, I so last week Kirk and I did a show uh, FAQs for an FA, and so frequently asked questions for a financial advisor, and we uh, compiled a list of questions that we frequently get from our. Uh, clients and, and new people that we meet. And we also solicited uh, for, we solicited um, people on Facebook to get questions from them too. So we kind of compiled a big list and we actually didn't get through it last week. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to finish going through that list. And 
Um, when I was originally planning the show, when I was planning out the radio schedule, uh, I try to do it a couple months ahead. I had originally wanted to talk about market timing today. Um, and so I'm going to kind of combine that with the tail end of FAQs for an FA because I, because actually a lot of the questions that we get, especially recently are related to trying to time the markets. And and um, so I just think that that's a really great thing to talk through uh, because I don't think there will ever be a time when someone doesn't um, think that they know what the markets are gonna do and, and kind of want to take advantage of it. And that's it's just human nature to um, assess the situation and, and um, maybe speculate is the wrong word, but assess the situation and come to a conclusion with regarding with regards to what you think is gonna happen. So I do wanna sort of start the show by talking about timing. My, my original title for today's show was Don't Waste Your Time Timing the Markets. Um, so I thought we could like spend the first segment on that. And then I have some other um, just sort of like random questions that I get very frequently. Um, uh, not related to market timing at all. Some of them related to Roth IRAs, uh, return in an investment account, saving for college, fiduciaries, stuff like this. So I just was trying to, you know, pick off like the most common ones. So that's what we're going to chat about this morning. And um, Kirk, if you have anything to add, well, we can go in any direction we want today. Um, so I wanted to, so Kirk, I don't know what you know, conversate, I'm sure, I'm assuming you have similar conversations with your clients, but one of the most common discussions that I'm having recently is regarding what do I do with my money now? I think there's going to be another downturn. You know, some economists originally were calling for a double dip in this market. Um, generally, you know, there, there can, it's not uncommon to have downward volatility surrounding a political election. Um, you know, will we have another downturn if we see another, if we see spikes in COVID cases as we approach flu season? So I'm getting a lot of questions about that and I'm assuming you are as well uh sure yes uh but my my initial reaction to what you said was you know for every, you know for every economist that says you know we're gonna go into a bear market there's there's another one that says it's gonna be a bull market so sure um, yeah. and that's I think that's always the case and I mean economists are certainly smart people um, and you know they you know they have their you know educational backgrounds and they do their research but but ultimately they're just they're making you know they're making forecasts um, you know about the future and they're not there's no guarantees there's no um, there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing set in stone because there are just so many variables um, that, you know, that affect the stock market and they can't, you know, they can just cannot possibly anticipate all of them. Um, you know, so ultimately it really is just a good guess. Yeah. Um, I, so I wanted to talk, we talked a little bit about this last week as well. We got into some discussions regarding market timing and for, and by the way, it's so funny when I talk to people and they're sort of asking these questions like, you know, I think this might happen. I would feel better getting uh, more conservative or I would feel better getting more aggressive. I think this might happen. And, um, you know, by the way, sometimes people are right and sometimes they're not right. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of a crapshoot in that regard, but um, it's, it's so funny. And then if you use the word timing, 
they're like, no, 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 not, I'm not, I'm not trying to time anything. I know I can't do that. They, but they like, they don't want to use that word. People don't want to use that word timing. I'm trying to time things, but really that's like the questions are surrounding that concept. And so I try not to use that word in my discussion because you don't want to offend anyone and, and make them, you know, you don't want to be judgmental, of course. But um, so today you and I are going to talk about timing, but even, even though sometimes I try not to use that word with other people because people get a little bit sensitive to like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. And no, you can't time the market, but, um, but they're still like sort of thinking in that regard. So it's just kind of funny. Um, the, fi the financial term that shall not be said. Right. Right. It's like he, sh who shall not be named. Exactly. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, we talk, again, we talked about this a little bit last week, so I'll try to go quickly through this first part here. And then I have, and then I went through and I pulled some information regarding how the markets performed in the early days of, of the COVID pandemic. And it's kind of interesting when I work through those numbers and, you know, the, the, the um, what, like the timing of when things unfolded regarding COVID and what the market was doing at that time. Cause you know, hindsight is 2020, right? So now we know what the markets did in the early days of COVID. We of course don't know what they're going to do in the future, but it's kind of fun to go back and, and look at what was going on in the world at the time when the market was doing X, right? So I have some information on that. So let's just talk about, let's just talk about this, this phenomenon or this, this, um, this is like a part of human nature, right? For people to want to make a change with their money because they think something's going to happen. So let's just use this example of people right now, or I think some people right now are feeling like, okay, we've had this recovery uh, from, from the big, from the downturn February to March. And um, I feel like there's going to be another dip. So people, uh, some people are certainly worried that that's going to happen. Will that happen? I have no idea. So it's sort of their human nature to, to, to be like, well, I'm going to uh, take my securities and I'm going to put them in a safe place now, whether that's cash or uh, a bond portfolio or, or, you know, a heavy bond portfolio or something like that. And by the way, for the people that... I, 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 I want to talk through or skip, or skip ahead a little bit for the people that need to do that for their emotional sanity and stuff like that. Of course, by all means do that. And, and so that you can sleep at night and all that. But I, but I want to talk through just like purely from a financial perspective, uh, what needs to happen in order for this to be a successful move. Um, so if someone gets out of the market now, for example, markets are, have done really well since March, end of March, um, made, by many measures of full recovery from the downturn that started in February. And if someone gets out now because they think the market's going low, lower, well, what happens if they're right and what happens if they're wrong? So if someone makes that move and they end up being right, like let's say Monday morning, this investor liquidates his portfolio and puts it in cash or an all bond portfolio. And let's say on Tuesday, the markets start a decline and they decline 20% from their high before they start to recover, right? So that we have a true bear market. Um, so in order for this strategy to benefit this investor, this investor needs to get back into his portfolio before the market is higher than it is when he 
when he liquidates. So he, you need to, if you're going to sell at a certain point and then you see a dip, you have to get back in at some point when the market's lower. It's, it's, it's going to be virtually impossible for that investor. If it like in that, in my example, this investor timed it perfectly at the beginning, right? So if he liquidates Monday and the market starts to decline on Tuesday, he timed that perfectly, right? And, and, and this investor got lucky. In order for this scenario to work to his benefit, he also has to time it somewhere toward the bottom or somewhere before the markets turn higher than they were when he liquidated. So if you think about, I, I try to, I like to describe it as like two mountains next to each other with a valley in the middle. And if you think about the mountain on the left, the top of that mountain on the left is where this investor, if he gets lucky, he puts his portfolio somewhere conservative, somewhere safe before the mountain starts, the mountain on the left starts to decline. So he has to, but he has to get his portfolio invested again before we, we, we start going up the second mountain and before the market is where it was when he liquidated. And that can just be really hard to time because you never know, it might feel like you're in the valley, but you never really know, are you in the valley? Is it going to go down further from here? And don't forget, part of the reason it's, um, part of the reason it's so hard to time is that the market doesn't just go straight down and straight up. It's like a very jagged, uh, it, the edge of that mountain is very jagged and, and it can be, you know, you might have uh, five terrible days and then one great day and think, oh, we bottomed out, we're heading back up. But you, then you might have another few terrible days after that. Um, so it's, it's just, it's really hard to time it. But for that investor to be successful, if that investor was correct and, we, and he gets safer and the market goes down, you just have to bear in mind that you have to get back in. Ideally, you would get back in when you're in the valley before you're heading up the second mountain. It's just very hard to time that, but that strategy would work if you got lucky timing the top and the bottom. Um, what happens is it's very hard. It, the, the, the people that are nervous about a dip and want to make a move with their money in, in advance of a down market, those people are the people that, um, well, let's face it, they're, they're, everyone gets emotional with their money, but some people try hard not to look and not to get emotional, right? But, but the people that are re really wanting to make a change are getting emotional with their money. So if you're emotional with your money when things are good, it's gonna be very hard to have the emotional strength to get back into the market when you're in that valley, because when you're in that valley, the market could be down 20 or 30 or 40%. And that's really hard to like, you know, put, put your money back in the market when things are so crappy. So it, it's just, it takes emotional strength to do that in, and I actually shouldn't even use the word emotional strength. It takes, um, you have to take emotions out of the equation to be successful with this strategy. But the people that are thinking, I need to get out of the markets now, I'm nervous. Those aren't the people that are taking emotions out. So this is why, this is part of the reason that it's so difficult. Um, did I explain that okay, Kirk? Uh, yes. Um, 
and I guess just kind of as a you know a, a side note or something you know occasionally occasionally we'll get people and I actually had one of these calls recently somebody called and said you know we've been we've had all this volatility and now things have you know kind of recovered and even even or even positive slightly and you know if they're you know maybe maybe of the opinion that or, or you know maybe they, maybe they need some money or maybe they're um, of the opinion that we might need, might see another dip which is you know which is quite possible you know don't don't know uh, but you know maybe they'll say well let's let's sell a little bit of a piece now I mean yeah. oh, okay you know that, that's yeah. that's fairly rational to me um, yeah. you know let you know if you just want to sell a little piece because you need the money or because you want to just set it aside you know for the future just in case yeah that's that's certainly a a more rational approach than you know, selling, you know, selling, um, because you think something's going to happen. This is kind of, this is, this is, this is partially reacting to what you already know. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we, and we've seen a little bit of a recovery and maybe some positive and, you know, to me that, that makes, that makes a little more sense. So I actually think that on that note, I actually think this is a really great right now is a great opportunity for people to make a portfolio change if they were in a total state of panic back in February and March, end of February and early to mid-March. Like I can think of a few clients, I try to talk to as many of my clients as I can in market downturns just to just to make sure everybody's okay and hanging in there and um, and doesn't need to and you know I let them know that I'm there to talk to them but I can think of a few clients who in the middle of the downturn were very nervous and you know our our role you know during times like these is to coach people through it and you know and coach them into not panicking and writing it out you know we could have a whole nother show on how the wrong thing to do in the in the middle of a down market is to make a change and get more conservative at that time in fact we should probably touch on that before we move on but um i can think of a few people who fortunately did ride it out but we're very nervous, like really close to making a change, just having a very hard time emotionally with it. And now that the market has, by many measures, fully recovered or very close to it, this is an opportunity for those people to make the change now that things are better and portfolios have recovered. Many portfolios have positive returns year to date and crazy good returns over rolling 12 months. This is an opportunity if you felt like, so So for the people that were panicking uh, six months ago, six, uh, five, six months ago, they were arguably not, they were arguably in a portfolio that they weren't comfortable with the downward fluctuation of. Now that was a very steep bear market, very quick, um, but all bear markets are different, right? It's always the, the, the exact timing and depth is always different. But, you know, as a financial advisor, it's our responsibility to place someone in what we think is a, is a portfolio that that won't perform in such a way on the downside that it makes someone panic, right? That's one of our roles and responsibilities. It's very hard to gauge. And, uh, you know, a, 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 a steep and fast downturn like the one we recently had is, is a good gauge for that. So for people that were really, really in a panic, hopefully you didn't do anything and wrote out the markets and now have seen the recovery, but this might 
I think this is an opportunity for some of those people to maybe lower risk a bit so that if we have another dip, whenever the next dip comes, whether it's this year or next year, whatever, um, that they're positioned more in a more comfortable portfolio for them. So I've been trying to make a little bit of outreach here to those people um, that were worried several months back and just kind of asking them, um, you know, what do you think about, what do you think about a, a reduction in risk now that things are recovered and, you know, it, because it was so difficult for you emotionally uh, a few months ago. And it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Some people are, are good with that and, and recognize that, um, that they don't want to have to go through those emotions again and, and will take the risk reduction, even though they understand they're giving up a little bit of return in good markets. That's what a risk reduction is. You're, you're giving up a little bit of return in good markets, but you're protecting yourself on the downside. And, um, and, and so I'm finding that it's a little bit of a mixed bag where some people are like, yeah, let, let's do that. Let's ratchet it down a little. I don't want to go through that again. And then some people are, yeah, you know, nope, I'm good. Things have recovered. Markets are good. I'm, I'm okay. And, um, I just, I think that's a little bit funny because, you know, Kirk, you and I know that one of the things we do as an advisor is we try to assess tolerance for risk. It's a really, really hard thing to do to assess someone's tolerance for risk, especially in the last 10 years, because we've had a crazy good prior to February of 2020 and March of 2020, we had a really good 10 years before that. And like everyone had a high tolerance for risk because everyone wants a, 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 an aggressive portfolio and the markets are doing really well. Like everyone's tolerance for risk increases when the markets do well. Um, so, you know, if, if we were assessing someone's comfort level with risk in 2017, <laughs> that's gonna be very, their, their comfort level with risk in you know mid 2017 could be a lot different than their comfort level with risk in uh, March of 2020. Like, it's just that that's a very hard thing to um, to, to nail down. You know, how is someone going to react in a down market? And and it's very difficult. But of course, as advisors, it's our job to coach people through that, that, you know, someone might be in a perfectly suitable portfolio for their time horizon and their goals, but they might just need a little coaching through the down, the downturn. And that's okay. That's, that's why you have a financial professional in your life. If, if you do. Um, so I, I just, so one thing I want to touch on, Oh, do we, we have a break in a couple minutes, right? Yeah. Two minutes. Actually. Yeah. So two minutes. And I just want to do, uh, this, okay. this was a perfect opportunity to try to illustrate my favorite, my favorite chart that I have, uh, in my office. And it's, you know, it's like this little sketch, it, you know, it's somebody, you know, somebody did it, somebody, you know, professional did it, but it's just a little sketch and it's just like a sine wave, right? So it's a curve that goes up, curve that goes down. And then at the top of the curve, the top of the peak, it says, you know, it says greed slash buy. And then at the bottom, and then at the bottom it says fear slash sell. And then it says, and then at the end of the graph, it says, you know, continue until broke. And, you know, that's, you know, unfortunately that's just kind of human nature, right? And I, you know, I, you know, I, I won't say that I'm any any different per se. You know, maybe I just you know I have more you know experience, or maybe I don't have the emotions uh, just because of you know the industry that we're in. But I think that that's just human nature. And yeah, and as you said, that's I mean that's that's primarily maybe our number one job um, in what we do is is helping people avoid the that that cycle. Um, 
because that's, you know, that's, that's unfortunately that people go through that, um, because emotions make them do that. And, um, you know, that's that's not a, not a good way. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to make money doing that. Yeah. The, the, right. So the accurate sine wave would be like happiness at, at the peak of the mountain, trim, trim portfolio, take profits, sell high, right? Right. And, and then the appropriate behavior at the bottom with, right. the, with the sad face or the angry face or the really panicked faces, buy more, add, add more money, buy more. It's the, <laughs> buy it's, more. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of... It's, very, yeah. it's very hard to do. It's like the exact opposite of human nature. I do want to, um, after the break, I want to talk about... So we just talked a minute about that investor who... Uh, what if, what if he gets more conservative now, the market goes down, so he's right on that. But I want to talk about, well, what happens if you get more conservative now because you think there's going to be another downturn, but you're wrong, right? So it, it, there, there's essentially a 50% chance that you're wrong. Um, did I did I just hear the music? Do we need to go to a break yes, now? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. You're listening to McNamara on nope, Money. I think it's too late. <laughs> with Kirk Reed. We're just going to take a quick break. Sorry for the technical difficulties and we'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to... Oh, we, we we're missing our cues today, Kirk. Because you got to get your video working on the Zoom. It won't. It won't let me. It won't let it work. I don't know. I was just texting you to try it on your phone. Try getting on the Zoom on your phone. Oh. Uh, so anyway, sorry about that. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley on 959 uh, FM WATD, and also now on 980 AM WCAP, also on Saturdays 10 to 12. Um, we are, I apologize for the technical difficulties. I am home via Zoom this morning with a oh. cranky child oh. who Whoa. just woke we, up. We have, a, we, have a, we have a new guest. We have a new guest, yes. And she's, oh no, somebody's cranky because we went to bed too late last night and had s'mores at like nine o'clock instead of, instead of getting to bed on time. So sorry about that if you hear a little. Uh, Arden, can you say hi? You want to say good morning to the listeners? Oh, somebody has cranky face. I was hoping she would play nicely instead of watching TV this morning. So that's what the, that's what the pouting is about. Oh. Uh, so anyway, we are uh, hoping to move on from that. And um, yeah, sorry about the the confusion intro outro. Kirk and I are we do pretty well when that, when we can see each other on Zoom. So um, with our cues. So maybe you could try to pull that up on your phone, and we'll be we'll be better for the next ninety minutes of today's show. Um, 781-837-4900, by the way, is the call-in number if you are listening on the South Shore and have a question for us today. Today's show is a little bit about, uh, well, it's continuation of FAQs for an FA. So just a compilation of uh, the most common questions we get, and we solicited some from the public as well. And um, also I, a little bit about market timing, because it's it's that's a timely, pun intended, I guess, uh, topic these days. And... Um, and, and something that is just, I think, well, it's kind of fun to talk through. <laughs> and, um, and I have some interesting uh, statistics and some, some numbers to go through here in a minute. But we talked about, you know, that this, right prior to the break, we talked about this, um, uh, this emotion right now where people are feeling like worried about another dip, right? And, 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 I, and honestly, I think that people are just, people are more sensitive to their investments after a significant bear market. So if you remember Kirk back um, a dec- over a decade ago when we had 
um, the the bear market that started that went through what started end of 07 and went through early 09 even when the market started through its recovery and you know early 09 2010 that that recovery took a lot longer than this one but even post that recovery people were just more sensitive they were more worried they, it was so fresh in their minds that that you know this happened and they saw this depression in their account values and and it just it just you know it, it, people's just tolerance for risk as we talked about uh, changes and becomes lower, excuse you, um, than, than it was before. And, and that's just human nature, but we, I wanted to talk about, so what happens if, so, so people think that it's, um, for the people that are worried about a downturn and that's coming, first of all, there's always going to be a downturn coming. Um, but if they're worried about it coming soon, you might have this inclination of, well, let me get more conservative now in advance of that. And, um, and, and I'll, you know, I'll protect my money and, and, and then I'll get back in later when, when it's a better time. So I, 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 so if someone's right on that, great, get back in when the market's at, at its bottom or down significantly and that strategy will work. It's very hard to time it both ways, but w w let's talk about just quickly what happens if you're wrong. So let's say this investor Monday morning, for example, gets more conservative with his portfolio or her portfolio and and the market doesn't turn for a week a month three months six months a year right so like so what that, that that's the the risk that you run by implementing this is that you're wrong and how long do you wait on the sidelines and what upside do you miss in the markets when you're wrong if you're wrong right so you know, it in in the question is I don't know. It's it's all different. This this is why this is a strategy that that I don't advise my clients on because if you're wrong, and we we you know, we just had a period of uh, five uh, four or five months when the market was up fifty percent. What it, that five months that this is a crazy short downturn and a crazy short recovery, but the market can swing so significantly in such a short period of time, if you're on the sidelines for these days, even a week, a month, six months, you could miss a 30% uptick, right? And then and then a period of time will go by if you're wrong and the market's higher and you get back in, so you've missed some upside, that stinks. You get back in, no matter when you get back in, in this scenario, if you're wrong and you get more conservative or go to cash and the market goes up, no matter when you get back in, you are closer to the next bear market than you were before, mm. right? So it, it doesn't matter when, it, you're closer to the next bear market, you have a shorter period of time for your assets to, to go up in value before the next downturn. There will always be a downturn in our future, we just don't know the exact timing of it. So that's that's, you know, that's the, it, it, I will agree with people when I have conversations recently about, you know, I'm nervous about the markets in the future. Yeah. First of all, like I said, it is fresh in your mind, the, the most recent downturn. Yeah. And it's not hard to imagine. I, I, I really, it's, it's easy to imagine. Well, we're going to have, you know, we have this political election. We have this really volatile it, it, president and administration and, and, and we have this, you know, generally there is volatility surrounding political elections and unrest in the country. There's unrest in the country. <laughs> and, and, 
um, not to mention the virus and, and what happens when everyone can't be outside because it's not summer anymore and we're all back inside and closer to each other. And, you know, it, 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 I will agree it is easy to imagine, but you know what? The market does not always make sense. And just because things might get by some measures worse uh, in the next six months or whatever, that it, it doesn't necessarily mean the markets will follow suit. The market does not always make sense. And I actually have some proof of that here in a moment. So the reason I don't, you know, in my conversations with people about this, yeah, I will agree, it is easy to imagine, but the risk you run is if you're wrong, like the people that were nervous back in March, for example, and got out of the markets and weren't and didn't get back in yet, they missed a 50% increase in the S&P 500 since March 24th. That's the risk that you run. You miss some significant upside and then you get back in when share prices are higher and, and you're closer to the next bear market whenever that is. Can I interrupt for a minute? Yeah. Uh, take a breath. Take a sip of yeah. coffee. Cool. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that we have in our sort of, you know, when we talk to a new client, we kind of go through investor education. And one of the, um, you know, one of the pieces of data that we have, I forget, I forget the the outfit that does that did the research. But uh, do you remember that there is a basically a study and they they analyzed, you know, inflows and outflows to, um, you know, basically like, mutual, you know, U.S. stock yeah. mutual funds. Yeah. And they were basically able to determine you know, here, okay, here was the actual return of this of this U.S. stock mutual fund, uh, fund over the past, I think it was like a 30 year period of time. And, yeah. and and the number was something like, it was like seven or 8% per year or something, something in that range uh, over that particular, you know, long period of time. But, you know, based on inflows and outflows to the fund, they were kind of, they were able to calculate, you know, what the average investor uh, return was over that same time. And it was something like, uh, like three and a half or 4%. Um, yeah. You know, so there was like, there, I mean, so there was like a three or a 4% spread between, you know, what the fund actually earned uh, versus what people that were, you know, buying and selling, you know, into that fund had earned. And, and I mean, the only, the only, the only rational answer is that people were getting in and getting out at all the wrong times. And if they, yeah. if they had just, you know, put their money in at the beginning of the period and, and let it sit there, you know, they would have earned, you know, seven or 8%, but instead, because they were getting in and getting out and trying to time things, uh, or being emotional or whatever it was, uh, you know, they, they were only earning three or 4%. And, um, you know, that uh, reminds me of, you know, uh, you know, our, our buddy, uh, Nick Murray, you know, that, you know, longtime, you know, financial advisor and, you know, um, you know, writes lots of books, you know, on, on the topics. And, yeah. you know, one of, you know, one of his lines that I always liked is, you know, in, in order, in order to get a stock market return, you have to be in the stock market. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah. that, and that, and that unfortunately <laughs> means, means ride, you know, riding the downs uh, yeah. as well as the ups. Um, that's the only way you're going to get, get the same return that the market gives is by, is by sticking with it. Um, I think, I think he was also the one that said the stock market is a great distraction to this business of investing. Mm, okay. Yep. <laughs> oh, that, just, yeah. That was either him or Bogle. Yeah. I can't, yeah. Was it him or was it Jack Bogle? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I have that one on my wall. I, I think one's Nick Murray and one's Bogle and yeah. somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I, so, yeah. Well, I, just, I just, you know, the stuff that you're talking about, you know, people, people getting out, you know, either because they're nervous or they think there's going to be a dip. Um, 
we certainly don't advise that, but people do it. And then, yeah, and then the question is, you know, do you get back in and when? And obviously it's impossible to time it perfectly. You might get it, you might do that once in your lifetime, uh, but that's probably it. Uh, and, and that would just be pure luck. And, you know, to do that repeatable is, is you know, virtually impossible. Um, and if, you know, if, and if you do, say, say you do it, you know, say you get out at the top, like you've mentioned, and then you get back in, you know, somewhere near the bottom. Um, and, and then you let that happen. Okay. So, and, and like you said, you know, the question is how long, how long of a time period was that, that they were sitting out of the markets and, and during that time, you know, assuming they just go to cash, right? So there's, you know, so there's no growth during that time. There's no dividends, there's no nothing. Um, so you have to weigh that, that period of time of, of a zero return, uh, versus what they may or may not achieve by, you know, selling high and buying low, if they by chance can time that correctly. And, you know, what's, what's that offset? You know, what, what did they gain by doing that? And, and, and let's, and even if they do it, you know, are they, are they going to be happy with it? You know, or are they, are they going to try to do it again and, 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 and basically negate whatever they earned? And, and it's just, it's just, you know, it's such a, it's a never ending cycle that for somebody that tries to do that. And, you know, if they actually, if they actually are able to measure their returns over their lifetime investing of doing all that crazy stuff, what did they, you know, what did they actually gain by that and how much stress did it cause? Yeah. I, I went through some, this is kind of interesting. I can remember not so much right now, but I can remember a few months ago having conversations with a few different people regarding, and they would sort of make comments like, like they feel like they should have been able to time this COVID, the downturn related to COVID-19 or, oh, I should have just, I should have just gotten out when I heard about COVID, you know, it was over in China. Like I should have, you know, sort of like there was comments surrounding that, like it would have been easy to time in and out of the market as it relates to COVID-19. I don't know if you've had any discussions regarding that or, or had anyone make any comments to you? Um, I mean, back, Back when we, you know, we were first hearing about it, um, yeah, I had a, I guess I had a couple conversations with people that were asking about it or were, you know, nervous about what it might do. But, uh, you know, my, you know, my comments to them and are that, you know, and I, and I'll say this now, um, there are, there's always going to be something, right? I mean, there's, there's always going to be something in the news uh, that that could cause a potential threat to the economy or the stock market or whatever, and that's never going to change. And so, you know, and what you know, so if if, you, if you're always worried about what the next big thing is or or what what the news is talking about, you're you're never going to be able to be an investor because you're going to be constantly worried about um, you know what what's you know what's going to happen. Uh, negatively because of all the things that are in the news and, and the news is always bad. I mean, there's always bad stuff in the news and, um, you know, I, you know, reading the news is not, not a, not a good way to, to help your, uh, investment portfolio. That's my opinion. I know. Yeah. But I can remember like April and May, like when, when account values were still depressed and people were kind of like frustrated and, and, um, uh, people kind of making comments like, Oh, I knew I should have gotten out or I, you know, I should have made a change. And I just, I put together some, some, some information that proves that it's really, really hard to time markets because the markets don't always make sense in when you couple it with what's going on in the world and in the economy. Um, It doesn't always perform the way you think it will. So for example, the downturn 
the the top of the S&P 500 back in February, the S&P 500, the proxy for the U.S. stock market, 500 biggest companies in the U.S., that started on February 20th. So February 19th, I believe, was the high for the S&P 500. And for the Dow Jones, which is, you hear you hear more about the Dow on the news, another you know, like benchmark for the U.S. Uh, stock market, it's only 30 companies, so we, I feel like we don't talk about it as much, but... Uh, you hear about you hear about it on the news more often because it's a big number and it's very newsworthy and dramatic. Um, the down the the top of the Dow I believe was February twelfth and the top of the S and P was like February nineteenth. So they were just like I don't know a, a few business days or a week apart. At that time, there were I believe just twelve reported cases of the of COVID nineteen in the United States. So this is, if you rewind back to February uh, 20th, February 19th, February 20th, this is a period of time when things like aren't really getting real yet. This is still overseas. This is in China. This is maybe starting in a little bit in Europe. And there are just 12 cases in all of the United States. This is when the market starts to turn. It's well before the masses are getting worried. There was not, so from February 20th to March 23rd, the S&P 500 was down 33, I believe it's 33 and a half or 34%. So the US stock market lost a third of its value, temporarily downturned a third of its value from February, starting February 20th, and ending March 23rd, that was the bottom. So like I said, when this downturn started, there were 12 reported cases and no deaths in the United States. I don't think I did, I re, was researching on some different websites. I don't think there was a reported death in the United States until March 4th. So that's like two weeks into this downturn. And and the, the World Health Organization didn't declare this a pandemic until March 11th. So this is like, now we're like three weeks into this five week downturn. This is when we've already had three weeks. I didn't pull the statistics. I didn't pull the numbers of how say, I, the Dow was probably down. I mean, the S&P was probably down, you know, 20% or 22% before the World Health Organization even declared this a pandemic. And so, and then schools didn't start closing, at least at least around here in Massachusetts, I believe, until March 13th. So here we are, like the S&P is already down 20, 25%. And this is when stuff in the news starts like catching up. And this is when people are starting to panic. And so the World Health Organization uh, de uh, declares this a pandemic and the market starts to recover nine nine days later, <laughs> or I'm sorry, uh, sorry, 13 days later. And it, so like, my point is, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like it, in, in, um, so like I said, when the market started its decline, you never really know when the decline is starting. Was this just one bad day and we're going to recover? Or is this like the start of a decline? When the market started to decline, there were 12 cases total in the United States, when the market started its recovery, there were 10,000 new cases per day in the United States. So it just doesn't make any sense. 
that like the, the market starts turning when things are like isn't this just you know people are like isn't this just a flu like is this a really a big deal and then when we're seeing 10,000 cases a day in the United States the market starts its up- uptick and again you never know at that time whether it was just like one great day or were we starting you know, are we gonna have another dip you know um so it and then and then uh the s and right so the s and p started its recovery march 24th 10,000 cases a day and then just like less than two weeks later we were at 30,000 cases a day in the united states and the market's going up by mid-july we were seeing cases of 75,000 per day in the United States. And the market has had a full recovery from its downturn. It's like, it, the, point, the point of all that was that it does not, the market does not always make sense. You, you, you would never, if I didn't tell you what the market was doing and I just read those, those, that time horizon of, you know, cases per day and, and the increase in cases and the world and the schools closing and pandemic being declared, you would never map the, what the market doing what it did over that time horizon. You would map it completely the opposite, right? The, the, the point is the market does not make sense all the time. It is, it's very like, you listen to economists say that it's like very forward thinking because you know investors really should be long-term investors and you shouldn't be thinking out months or even a year or two you should be thinking five ten twenty years out when you're an investor you should have a very long time horizon so in that regard it makes a little bit of sense that the, that the market is just kind of forward thinking um or or that's what some that's how some economists will describe it anyway but i would look at that and i would say that doesn't make any sense that when we're at 75,000 cases per day, the market is, has been up 45% from its low. It just, it's, it's, the data is just crazy. And, and you'll hear like, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, I listen to podcast, like, you know, we listen to financial news and podcasts and stuff. And, and I've heard so many times, like the, the, the market is not the economy and the economy is not the market. They do not always trend together. We've had some pretty poor economic data come out in the last quarter or so, or really calendar 2020. We have very high unemployment and new unemployment claims, a lot of Americans not working. We have uh, really bad consumer spending numbers. We have have a shrink in, uh, the the, the economy is contracting. We have a shrink in GDP. Like there's some pretty bad economic data and here we go, the market's roaring. (laughs) It's just not, you know, and and I I will say that this does lead some people to speculate that what's happening is that too high. Are we gonna see another dip? you know it's easy to it's easy to speculate that because the market uh the market doesn't always make sense and but the point of all that was the market does not always do what you think it's going to do it does not always make sense in fact i would say it probably frequently does not make sense more frequently than it does make sense i guess yeah a couple things um uh the you know we, we sometimes we try to remind people you know why the stock market goes up you know, uh, over the long run, uh, which is which is essentially that, you know, the company. So, if we're talking about the S and P five hundred, for example, right? You know, the five hundred biggest you know companies in the U S. Um, they, you know, those companies are, you know, for the most part, are, you know, well established companies. You know, very big companies, and you know they've they've been able to you know grow their businesses over time, um, and by doing that, 
uh, you know, that makes their that makes their stock, you know, more valuable uh, because they're able to, you know, pay dividends uh, to its to its shareholders. And you know, as they make more money, you know, year over year, for the most part, uh, the ones that are you know capable of doing that, you know, they they pay bigger dividends, and that makes that makes their you know the shares of their stock more valuable. And and that in turn is what makes the, the market grow, right? Because the market is essentially just, you know, the number of shares times the, you know, the price per share. That's all it is. And if you, you know, if you look at history and if you, you know, it's, I mean, we are an industrious people, uh, you know, the, you know, you know, like it or not, you know, driven by, driven by making money. Um, and those companies are able to do that. You know, those are, you know, they have lots of very smart people working there, very creative people that are constantly, you know, coming up with new ideas, uh, you know, ways to, you know, ways to save money and, you know, in, you know, increase their bottom line. And, you know, all these new companies, you know, like, uh, like Tesla and things, you know, you know, super innovative uh, and they're, and they're making, you know, so much money and, you know, but, but because you don't, you know, you don't know, you know, who's going to be the best, you know, like Apple obviously has come great, you know, been such a great big company, uh, you know, over the years grown, you know, just exponentially and you don't, you don't know. And that's, that's why, that's why you buy the market, right? Because you don't know, you know, which companies are going to be the best. Uh, but you know, if you buy, if you buy all of them, there are a lot of great ones out there and, you know, they're, they're going to continue to innovate and because it's, you know, we live in a capitalist society and they're going to, you know, they're trying to make money. Um, and that over time is going to translate to, you know, to the market going up and, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, good returns for those that are, that are investing in it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch on before we take a break in a couple minutes here, you'll have to let me know when it's time for that. Yep. Um, before I just like wanted to like wrap up this this sort of market timing section and get to some of our random FAQs for an FA on the next segment of the show. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on like I, I I don't want to minimize people's emotions, and I do think there are times when a change in level of risk in your portfolio, like a reduction in risk in your portfolio is warranted. I really do think that there are just some people who emotionally can't handle volatility in the markets. And, you know, general, generally speaking, you, based on your age, how close you are to retirement or whether you're in retirement or whether you're far from retirement, and, you know, on the young side and far from retirement, you know, based on your age, you should be in a portfolio that is appropriate for that time horizon. And if you're in the appropriate portfolio, like someone within like five years of retirement or someone in retirement, they shouldn't have an all stock portfolio anyway. They should be in something that performs such on the downside that isn't going to make them completely panic, right? That's one of our roles as an advisor. and. Um, like like I said, it's it's really hard. It's hard to do that because you never know what the next market will bring, what the next down market will look like, or how long it will last, or how deep it will be. But um, but it it you know you people should be if you're of a situation if you're in a situation where you can't risk much downside with your money, then you shouldn't be in an aggressive portfolio. So when the market when the markets turn and they're down 30 or 40%, 
you should you're hopefully in something that like mitigates that right you have some more stable exposure where where you're not seeing a downturn that significant it's more mitigated so i just i will just say like this is an opportunity for people who if they emotionally just could not handle the emotions surrounding the last down bear market there february to march this is an opportunity where portfolios have recovered reevaluate your risk and and move on all right we got to lead into break i'm Alyssa mcnamara reed with my husband and business partner kurt reed you're listening to mcnamara on money we're talking about timing the market don't waste your time timing the market we're going to get to faqs for an fa part two right after the break be right back 